This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, you're listening to The Fourth Estate, the show where journalists talk journalism. Coming to you from 2SER in Sydney on Gadigal lands of the Eora Nation, right across Australia on the Community Radio Network and directly to your device across the globe via podcast. My name's Julia Karkatzel. Well, no doubt you've been acquainted with Google's latest warning signs splayed all over the web. In its most recent act of defiance against a proposed media bargaining code, the tech giant has threatened to leave Australia altogether. The code requesting the tech giant pay for news content is the outcome of three years of work by the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. The ACCC says it aims to even out the playing field for tech giants and media organisations to create a fairer digital ecosystem. Prime Minister Scott Morrison is today meeting with the global boss of Google to discuss. So will the media companies and big tech platforms come to an agreement? What would Australia look like without its search engine? And which media companies would suffer most? Well, some journos very familiar with the workings of Google and Facebook are technology reporters Josh Taylor, a reporter for The Guardian based in Melbourne. He has also worked for BuzzFeed and at Crikey, he's covered politics, technology and freedom of information. And David Swan is the technology editor at The Australian with experience across startups, business and tech. Welcome to the panel. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for having me. So I guess we'll start with maybe in your own words, if uh, one of you could describe what the ACCC is effectively trying to achieve with the media bargaining code. Go for it if you like, Josh. (laughs) Sure. Uh, So effectively, you've got a situation where uh, the ACCC has been tasked to develop a code that would, um, what what they call it, facilitating negotiations between media companies and and the digital platforms at this stage it only applies to google and facebook but what it would do is basically force google and facebook to come to the table with a, with an offer a reasonable offer i mean although they don't think it's particularly reasonable um to pay for uh media content for um that appears on in search results and and in on news feeds on facebook um it, it's got some other components in there including um uh, having to notify media companies about changes to their algorithms that might affect their business. So if they're going to say we're going to deprioritize video or we're not going to show this many articles, then they have to sort of alert to that. But um, the main thing that, that everyone's sort of focused on is the payment of, of money from uh, from um, uh, digital platforms to media outlets. And it's basically 
how you define these news media companies is basically if you have a turnover of $150,000 and, and the main purpose of your business is, is for news. Um, so that, that's basically where it's at at the moment. Uh, and uh, as you mentioned, it, uh, it's a bit of a standoff. It's currently before the parliament, um, at, but the two digital platforms are still very, very opposed to it. So we're, we're still, we've still got a bit of way to go. Sure. And in recent uh, weeks, Google has hit back pretty hard at the code, uh, threatening to remove its search engine from Australia altogether. Um, And this isn't the first time Google has made such drastic threats. Uh, It did so in Spain in 2014, when it removed its news service after a disagreement over payment there. Um, So this is a pretty big threat. Uh, Should we take it seriously? I've been surprised a little bit, I guess, at how public their threats have been. Um, Having warnings on every Google search you do, for example, um, they're targeting not just Canberra and and politicians with this, um, but the general public and wanting to to lobby Australia to get get voters on side with them. Um, I do take their threats seriously. I think, as you mentioned, they are really serious threats to say, you know, we'll shut down search effectively in in Australia and and block our users from searching at all. I do take that seriously. Someone I spoke to at Google likened the situation to their stance on China, where Google is not in China um, out of principle. And, you know, that's the way they put it, that they're leaving billions of dollars of advertising revenue um, and a a large user base there, obviously, just on the table um, out of principle. And they said, well, if we do that in China, then we'd probably do the same in Australia, where it's a a much smaller market and, and not meaningful uh, to us compared to other markets. So I do take it seriously. And I think that it seems a bit existential for them in terms of if it did pass in Australia and it, it was successful, uh, other markets and, and jurisdictions would likely follow suit. I think we're seeing uh, places like Canada talking talking about doing a similar thing already. So um, for Google, it, it does seem serious. And I wouldn't be surprised if they did follow through on their threats if, if it did pass law here. Yeah, I, I take it pretty seriously as well. I, I've been surprised similarly about how vocal they've been about it and how the, the lengths that they're going to to try and stop this. So I think the way that the the code is structured, they've kind of really backed Google into a corner here. And it's really, in, in other markets, like, like in Spain, as you mentioned, they were still able to keep search in place because... Um, you know, they could just turn off the news service because it was only playing for snippets. Whereas the way that this is structured, basically anytime a news... Uh, anything that could be news is is feeding into a, um, a search result, the code would apply to them. So there's literally no way out for them to get out of it. That's why they're so opposed to it. So um, I, I do take their threat seriously, but uh, like it, it's going to take a long way to go. I think the interesting thing to watch is that after their, their Senate hearing where they, they made the threat that they were going to withdraw from Australia, they've been very, very pointed about saying that it's not a threat. I think that they realised how badly that went down mm. within the public in general. And I, I think that they've slowly backtracked from that a little bit, but, you know, they could still end up pulling out. It's really hard to say at this point. Yeah. And I guess there has been quite a big shock. Uh, the international community has reacted. David, you've been reporting on how Canada is joining the pushback, uh, revealing that it's considering laws very similar to Australia's. And even Australian super funds are being called to drop their investments in Facebook and Google if the tech giants uh, follow through. Um, So, yeah, there has been widespread uh, shock. Just to add to that, I think, you know, with the superannuation stuff, for example, them calling on uh, the the tech giants to be dropped from ethical funds, I think 
what this has done, this whole process over the last couple of years has raised really important questions about the role of these tech giants in our lives and are they, you know, quote unquote good or, or evil? Obviously it's not black and white, but what, what what role do we want them to play? Do we want to use them for news, for example, or should they stick to their knitting and, and stick to search or in the case of Facebook, you know, a place to connect with friends? So, um, yeah, it's raised some really interesting questions as a minimum, whether this passes or not, just to be able to have the conversation about what we want the tech giants to be. Yeah, well, in that same vein, I mean, uh, Google search accounts uh, for more than 90% of search traffic from Australian desktops and 98% from mobile users. Um, so what would happen if it, if Google was to withdraw? It, I mean, it would basically mean that we'd have to use Bing or one of the other <laughs> rivals. Um, immediately, people's phones would break, although I think that in particular with Apple, they'd probably find a way to make sure people have an alternative pop up straight away and, and so it wouldn't sort of interrupt their service but it would be incredibly disruptive and I, I the other thing that I, is really confused about confusing for me is that Google has only said that this is limited to their search product but so many of their other products are tied into search so it's going to be a little bit concerning you know on day one how, how Google Maps works and how some of the other applications work if search is no longer there so um, you know it is a going to have a major impact if, if they do pull out and and it's one of those things that um i don't think anyone's really particularly ready for and, they, and i think that's why they're still painting it as like the worst case scenario because they're they've, they've put that on the table now but you know who knows what's going to come out of out of meetings with with the government that might get them to to scale it back a bit Mm. And Microsoft has put its hand up in support of the code recently, offering to improve its search engine uh, Bing, as you mentioned, um, in the event that Google pulls out. How would a service like Bing compare to Google? I think, um, you know, it's been shown that Bing, although it's not widely used, um, it does, it is up to scratch as a search engine. Um, there's no real market difference between um, using a using Google for search and using Bing for search. I think Bing's just been the victim of um, being a bit of a meme for the last few years in terms of just how unpopular it is. And Julia mentioned, obviously, the market dominance that Google has in terms of that sort of 90, 95, 98% market share. So um, that is a monopoly. Um, no one's really used Bing much in Australia previously, but I think if push came to shove, I think it would hold up in terms of, at least like Josh mentioned, just the search stuff and there would be question marks of who would fill the other gaps when it comes to Google's other products if they were to remove those as well. But in a pure search perspective, I think um, we could trust Bing to do the job. I mean, I personally want Ask Jeeves to come back. Um, I don't know if Jeeves is still alive and kicking, but um, yeah, there'll, there'll be some, even if it's not Bing, there'll be, there'll be alternatives that would pop up. I know the Greens have been pushing for the idea of a government-run um, search engine, which I don't, you know, anyone who's watched, you know, the COVID Safe app or anything along those lines knows that government-run technology is not always the best thing in the world and particularly with the something that you need to scale for i don't know if, it, if the government could do it but um there's definitely an opening in the market there i think actually i, I was thinking about it the other day i think like atlassian would be one of the ideal ones to do it but they're opposed to the code so i don't think that they're particularly mm -hmm. going to be interested in doing something like that wow and i guess that bing wouldn't collect uh it wouldn't collect as much data as google that's the main difference right well, I don't know about that. I'm still pretty sure that they, like, the Bing will be collecting a lot of data. They they put in their statement that they put out to media yesterday, they said um, everyone searches improves the search engine. So they are collecting data. Um, if you want something more private, you just go for DuckDuckGo, which, is, which doesn't actually collect anything on you. Okay. I'd say as well too, just like whatever happens if, if this was to go through, 
if it, and Bing became the most popular option, it wouldn't be a monopoly in the same way that, that Google is now. And I think that's one of the key issues Rod Sims and the ACCC is tackling is saying that for any com- company to have a 90 to you know 95% control on our search as a country, that's just not healthy for, for any market. Um, so Bing might say get 50 or 60% and then others would pop up, but it wouldn't be at that same monopoly level that Google currently enjoys. Hmm. It, it's funny because like in um, in some sort of, uh, developing nations they when they buy their phone it comes with facebook pre-installed and for them the internet is facebook uh, but and and that's a little bit shocking when you think about it but for a lot of us like facebook and google are sort of the the gateways the doorways to the rest of the internet for us and i think that that's basically where where the code is sort of going towards they're saying most people are seeing the internet through these two websites um they they do have a monopoly as, as we were saying like you know the fact that Google can put a, a big yellow box with its position in search results about the code kind of says that, you know, they are acting like a monopoly. So it, it's one of those things that you, you want technology companies to be free to do what they want and have freedom from government regulation. But at the same time, these companies are huge. Yeah, and speaking of Facebook, it's reiterated its own stance in recent weeks, saying that it would no longer allow people to post or view news content within Australia, uh, given the code goes ahead. What would Facebook look like without news? Would Australian users even care? Uh, Well, they said in the hearing that less than 5% of what people see on the news feed is actual news. But I don't know, I think it would just allow misinformation to thrive on Facebook. I, I can only see it ending really bad for them. I think, you know, it, as I mentioned earlier, I mean, these companies have come so far from their roots in terms of obviously Facebook started as a website to um, rate women. Um, so it's probably good that it has come a long way from that. But they, these companies are just so big now and so different to how they started. And I don't mind the idea of Facebook, for example, becoming a place where people, instead of trusting it for news or sharing links of, of fake news, it becomes a more innocent, I don't know, I don't know if this is too optimistic or naive, but a place where people connect with their friends again and share photos of their food and photos of their pets. Uh, and if news wasn't allowed, maybe it would become a bit of a nicer place of, of genuine connection. So I don't know if that's too optimistic, but um, I think it's news and Facebook have never made sense to me in terms of being a good fit. And, and like, I, I mean, they were talking about making Facebook less political as well. I think all of the problems that Facebook has had has, has been in in dissemination of news and politics in the last few years. So that's, you know, maybe maybe we'll go back to, you know, family connections and things like that rather than everyone just fighting on the platforms all the time. Yeah. But Josh, you were saying um, it would give life to more um, misinformation and disinformation on the platform. So your point is that you wouldn't have actual um, legitimate news media to counteract that on the platform yeah so i'm not i i still think their threat is a little bit less workable than google's because they're the way they've described it to me is basically to say not only would australians not be able to post link to news articles from any news site in the world but they wouldn't be able to see what other people have posted um but that seems really impractical to me because basically they have to be playing a game of whack-a-mole in, in terms of blocking out news websites because um, how do you actually figure out what is a news website and what's not? And if you're not um, designing you know, links to certain websites, so say Washington Times, I know, which is a big inf- misinformation website, if you're not designating that as a news website, then that's 
being allowed to be posted on Facebook and, you know, no one can point out, point out link to the correct, uh, to, you know, a debunking article because the debunking news site might is considered a news site. So I think it, it could be really dangerous if, if they let that sort of stuff happen. Okay. So if we look at um, small independent news companies like Junkie Media, they say that 75% of traffic to their site is driven by search and social. Um, if Google removes its search engine and Facebook bans all news content on its platform, will uh, publications like these essentially die? It will force, I guess, the likes of, of Junkie um, to better, I guess, just direct traffic directly to their websites, which is really tough. They've, you know, attached their brands for years onto the social media platforms. And that's been, you know, basically their entire strategy because that's where millennials are and, and that's where the eyeballs are. So it makes sense to be where their audience is. Um, and then without that option, um, it really leaves Junkie to say, okay, we've got to build an audience for ourselves. And I guess then the onus then turns to uh, Junkie to say, we want to make our website one that millennials will go to, um, you know, without social media. And I don't know, we'll have to see if, how the behavior changes changes in terms of young people deciding that they're going to, you know, take it upon themselves to go to websites and not just rely on, on the tech platforms for news. So, um, yeah, I, I think they will really struggle, but um, there's always going to be appetite for news. I mean, that's just human nature. And I would be optimistic that, you know, media companies will do well on their own and will be forced to, to craft strategies that will, will mean that they survive even without the tech giants. I think a company like Junkie might be okay because it's been around so long, but I think like Twitter made a submission to the inquiry basically saying that the code in general would probably entrench um, uh, the existing, the dominant players, both in digital platforms and in publishers. And I think the threats also have the effect of, of potentially entrenching the, the dominant players on um, in publishing because, you know, if, if, you know, websites like the Australian, like the Guardian, will probably do still do okay not not as great if the if the two sites are gone but it will be so hard for any new company starting up to be able to compete with us because they just won't be able to get the eyeballs as I mentioned before um I, but i think it's it's probably something that's more broadly worth discussing just because it's the same it's like it's the same argument that media companies have been having for years just in terms of how reliant they are on google and the social media sites to, to drive traffic because, you know, there was that, you know, when I was at BuzzFeed a few years ago, there was, everything was about pivoting to video because Facebook was, was putting video mm. prominently in the newsfeed. And then all of a sudden within a day, like Facebook switched that off. And then everyone who were on video teams had to get sacked because they didn't have, like there was no traffic going to those videos anymore. So the fact that companies are still so beholden to what these companies do is something that, you know, maybe, maybe, needing to cut the tether a little bit is is a good thing clicks in general particularly from social media are pretty empty right like compared to uh financial support from you know in the case of the australian paywall and you guys like support is giving you money like that's far more valuable than like an engaged or loyal audience is more valuable than an empty click from a facebook link yeah the problem is just getting them in the first place and i think that's the problem with with newer startups as well i think um, I, yeah, it's going to be, it's, it, it's really unique browsers are great and that's really good at what traffic is driving through, but it's, it's 
all about keeping people on the site and then obviously getting them to subscribe that, that is of most value to us. Okay, so Google has said that withdrawing from Australia would only occur as a last resort, as the worst case scenario, as Joshie was saying before. Um, so let's say Google ends up sticking with us. There's still quite a bit of, bit of the code to be negotiated between media companies and tech giants. Um, one media consultant, Megan Brownlow, has said it's unlikely the mandated code would actually result in payments from the platforms. And she said instead uh, publishers uh, should focus on other benefits from the code, such as warnings about changes in algorithms and um, access to news content consumption data. Do you think it's unlikely the platforms will actually pay up in the end? I think that um, the payments would, just having watched the, the hearings over the last couple of weeks, I'd, I'd say there's a real chance of, they're talking about some amendments, for example, that would um, mandate a percentage of payments to go to directly funding newsrooms and journalists. So in in the current form of legislation, you know, the publishers could spend any payments, I guess, however they wish, but they're talking about amendments to, you know, the journalists union and, and others, including Rex Patrick, have said this, that maybe we, we set a certain, certain percentage aside directly to fund newsrooms. Um, and, you know, from speaking to the tech giants and, you know, basically everybody, like, it sounds like the payments is a real thing. And I, I would expect that to be one of the main benefits of, of this. It, it does sound like it's, it's on the table, yeah. So I, I think the, the thing that, and Rod Sims from the HRC has been sort of pointing this out a lot is that the the code is really just in terms of the negotiations it's really just the last resort it's a lot of the companies like my like my own company have been in preliminary discussions with google about news showcase and with facebook about other things before um but all the code does is basically put a little bit of a rod on on the back of like the, the tech companies to to actually come to the table and offer something decent um and I think, and we saw that in France as well. Like if everyone keeps talking about the the Google making the deal with the French publishers, um, they were forced into that position um, because, uh, like the the independent regulator there, basically said that they couldn't remove um, search result uh, news from search results for companies that didn't that demand a payment. So they're paying them. I don't know how much it is. It's it's not really quite clear, but um, it means that. Google and Facebook will have to offer something a little bit better. I have no idea what they're offering now, but I think, you know, from from what the what the public comments have been from the the media companies, it's not been particularly uh, generous. So this will this will kind of force them. The reason why Facebook and Google are so annoyed about it is that they are worried that media companies will hold them to ransom essentially and say, well, this is not really what I want. I want to go to the arbitrator through the code, and then without they they don't think that what Google and Facebook offer to publishers is valued well enough in the code. That means that the arbiter will come to some sort of reasonable payment in, in Facebook and Google's view and they and they won't be able to account for that in their own like in their forecasting for budgets and things like that. So that's that's the main reason that they're really concerned about this. Yeah. So to that point, um, let's say the tech giants do agree to pay. Um, how do you put a price on journalism? I guess Rod Sims was talking about a metric where you, whereby you evaluate the platform's value with and then without the media. Um, and Google has run experiments in the past few weeks to test that. Um, yeah, how do you how do you put a price on journalism? I think that's just the public debate. <laughs> it's one of those things. Uh, like, uh, it would be interesting to see how um, 
how they come to the decisions about what it's worth. It might be audience, it might be against your own revenues, it might be against Google's revenues. It's really sort of left up to the people to negotiate between themselves and then the arbiter to assess between the two parties if it gets to that. I think it's an important point too that that was a really big win that the tech giants had um, following the draft code is that, you know, this final legislation um, has, you know, two-way value exchange, meaning that uh, whatever the arbiter decides, it takes into account the value that the tech giants uh, give the publishers as well. And, you know, the tech giants argue that they give more value to the publishers than the other way around. So, um, that was one of the big sticking points originally. It just was one way originally, and it was, you know, how much is news worth to the tech giants? But, you know, the way this legislation is worded now, it, it takes into account both sides. Um, and, you know, they're still unhappy with it, but, but that was a big win for the tech giants. Yeah, they still think it's not giving their side enough credit. I think that's, that's where they're <laughs> Yeah. And News Corp and Nine are making quite a lot of noise about all of this. Um, is there a risk that, that they will drown out the smaller voices when it comes to working out the details, um, such as who gets uh, what revenue? Well, I mean, it, it, it's not collective negotiation. You can make your own deals separately or you can, you can you know, we could all team up and, and do negotiations together, although I do not think that would happen. Um, it's one Actually, that's part of the concern that Facebook and Google have as well because they say... Um, although it would only, the ACCC said it was something like only a couple of hundred um, publishers in Australia that they have to negotiate with. They're worried that they could get into a situation where News Corp breaks up all its different um, outlets. You know, Foxtel's Sky News might be separate from the Australian. Um, you might have a situation where Sydney Morning Herald is, is negotiating, The Age is negotiating, and Channel 9 is negotiating. So, um, that they're worried about having to negotiate with too many people and having too many sort of differing deals and stuff like that. I think um, it's less so about that. I think, but your point is right. Uh, The little players will still be able to negotiate. They'll have, um, if they have a turnover of $150,000, I think they'll be able to uh, be a part of the code and they will have the option of of teaming up as well in a group to negotiate collectively with them, with Google and Facebook. I think as well, like obviously this stuff is so new and we're talking still in in hypotheticals, obviously, because this hasn't been passed yet and hasn't been done anywhere else. Um, but I think what would, we would see is it becomes, you know, if it was to pass, quite standardised in terms of what those agreements are. I think um, I'd be less concerned about there needing to be hundreds of different agreements and there being more of a, a standard agreement, I guess, between the, the companies of, you know, what a snippet is worth and, and what what news effectively is worth, I think that would become standardised if, if this was to pass. And if it was to pass, how would that set a global precedent for Google's business model in other countries? I think you'd probably see, I mean, Canada's already sort of looking down that path. I think you'd see other the other countries follow through. It's kind of interesting because if you think about it, the best way that the government could have tackled this is through some sort of digital platforms tax. But they've gone through the competition method, I think in part because it it takes it takes it out of the, the hands of the government collecting tax and then giving it back. But also it doesn't raise concerns about world like world trade disputes that, that, that Google could potentially launch against Australia for, for going down this path. Because they've done it down the competition route, um, it's a little bit harder for them to challenge internationally. So I think you might see a lot of other countries going down the path. I think, that's, I think this is why the US government was, you know, made a submission to the inquiry basically saying they don't agree with it as well. 
Okay. Yeah, I'll just add to that. I think just having, um, you know, the regulators in, in other countries, you know, they speak very highly of what we're doing here. And, um, you know, I think Australia tends to, <laughs> we, uh, we're, we're a, a small fish in a big pond globally, but not on this stuff. This is genuinely, you know, world first stuff. And um, these are really new issues that we're talking about. But, you know, it's not hyperbole to say that, that the world is watching this. Um, and yeah, as Josh said, wouldn't be surprised if others followed suit. Well, that's it from us on The Fourth Estate. Thanks to my guest Josh Taylor, a technology reporter for The Guardian, and David Swan, technology editor at The Australian. No worries, thank you. Yeah, thanks guys, appreciate it. Don't forget you can subscribe to The Fourth Estate podcast so you'll never miss an episode. And if you're already a subscriber, please leave us a review on your podcast app or on Facebook. It helps us know what you like and it helps other people find the show. You can stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter. Our handle is Fourth Estate AU. My name's Julia Karkatzel. You can catch us next week.